Hello, my angels. How is everyone today? Welcome back to another episode of Straight Up. I'm Kathleen and I'm here with Ellie, bestie and fellow journalist, as always. Reporting for duty. We're here with another cultural debrief for you this week, as always, every other week. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, please tell us you have, but we do endeavour to run a celebrity interview followed by a cultural debrief every alternative week. So it's always the same. Yes. So two celebrity interviews a month and two cultural debriefs a month. Seems that you prefer the cultural debriefs, which is interesting. It's been a big learning curve for us looking at our stats, but actually quite brilliant nonetheless, because it means that you actually like hearing us wang on without the help of a celebrity guest. Yes. You like listening to Kathleen's sexual voice. Every time that I talk to my male friends who listen, they're always like, oh, Kathleen sounds so hot. My like radio ready. Yeah. They were like, she sounds like Maya Jama. I sound like someone who's never had sex, probably. No, ridiculous. (laughs) Helen and Oliphant over there. I literally do. Um, I really identified it. It's a very good book, actually. Anyway, guys, today we have super juicy topics. We really do. I'm quite excited for our first one. Matty Healy, frontman of the 1975. Do you guys... Know who this is? I mean, surely you. I mean, what the hell? We would hope you do. Have you been aware of all the chat that's been going on the last few weeks? No, I hear you say. Well, here's a little (laughs) (laughs) refresher. Matty Healy is the son of Denise Welsh from Loose Women. So he is a little Nepo baby. However, what I thought was fascinating about Gia Tolentino's New Yorker profile recently, who is Matty Healy, she does make it clear that yes, his parents are famous. His dad's also an actor. Denise Welsh was in Coronation Street, so she was really successful, but they were very much like working class heroes. Yes. Um, And so that's clearly informed his childhood. He went to private school, but was kicked out pretty swiftly for starting fight clubs. But he did then end up moving to the local state school, which is where he met his other band members of the 1975. And they do kind of fun synth pop, which is like kind of very ironic and funny. The lyrics are kind of mad, quite grotesque. I mean, it changes all the time. That's the thing. Each album will have like a completely different like genre kind of going for it. I was saying to you earlier, wasn't I? My favorite is A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships, I think, which yes. is like the synth pop one. We watched them perform together at the Brits once where he got on stage and read out a piece, um, a section from Laura Snape's deputy music editor at The Guardian, a piece she'd written about masculinity, and he read out a section, which was applauded at the time. But it was in hind- misogyny in music. Yes, but in hindsight, looks a bit like a skit from Saturday Night Live where they poke fun of like performative lefty bros. I think that's even the headline, isn't it, of the New Yorker piece. It's like, for Matty Healy, fame is its own kind of performance art. He is embracing this very performative role as a frontman and really this is why he's in trouble at the moment so guys if you don't know he's also allegedly taylor swift's new boyfriend therefore all the swifties have been making a lot of noise online and they are looking into matty healy's kind of political persuasions his past the podcast he's been on very questionable comments he's made before more on this later but he did appear on a podcast and make like some really inappropriate well in fact i think he laughed along rather than being the person that made racist comments about i spice which are totally unacceptable it is known it's called the adam friedland podcast it is known to be a very transgressive podcast but i do think that's just racism yeah and he went on it 
to, he said basically he just wanted to do some promo that was like more like having a chat with mates. But he's a very strange figure essentially because people can't pin him down in terms of whether he's on the left, the right, what he believes. As Ali says, one minute he'll be like making a speech about misogyny and music, quoting a leading female journalist on stage at the Brits. She actually came on the podcast and told us she had no idea he was going to do that. Yes. The next minute he is aligning himself with these like alt-right figures. Like he was pictured wearing merch from this like, weird very right-wing feminist podcast is it called red the red scare the red scare that's it yeah so he also fancies one of the hosts yes he he said that's why he went on it or that's why he is a fan right yeah he just thinks one of the hosts is hot or something which again is a bit kind of but he obviously wants to be transgressive like he's embracing this mental persona that is completely unpindownable yes and you can't know the true matty healy kind of thing i think that's the point he actually said in an old interview which i thought was quite revealing not in the New Yorker interview, I think it was like an old Pitchfork one, that he said he is traditionally progressive but suspicious of wokeism and he said, I don't want to be associated with either side, left or right, because then I can't make jokes about them and I just want to make jokes. Right. Now we we can preface this, we can kind of caveat this by saying, obviously when those jokes do make people feel unsafe or belittled, then that's not okay. But I would say that maybe sometimes his... Um, controversial actions have maybe been ironic and therefore maybe misinterpreted like his nazi salute that he did when he was actually mocking the alt-right politics of kanye obviously not cool to do a nazi salute even in joke but i don't think he was actually professing himself to be a nazi so it's it's difficult because I can see both sides being like, well, even if it's meant to be a joke, those jokes are still harmful when we have a massive problem with mm. actual neo-Nazis and that's just like adding fuel to the fire and making, normalizing it and whatever. But I have to say, as a journalist, it is really interesting when a pop star refuses to be like well-behaved. Yeah. In an era where everyone is so well-behaved, it's frankly very dull to be an entertainment journalist most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, he's like a true, like, maverick performer, I guess, isn't it? It's like the old-school rock and roll, almost, which makes him interesting, that's for sure. Like, then, rather than sort of sanitised pop stars who usually don't speak particularly on politics or whatever because they don't want to... I mean, I say that, it's not like he's, like, making particularly impressive political statements either way. But I think he's clearly trying to play with this idea that famous people shouldn't, like, have that much sway over how people operate in the real world anyway. Yes. Like, their roles as a role model. He does all this mental stuff on stage, doesn't he? She was saying, like, he'll, like, drink a whole bottle of red wine, squeeze himself through this tiny little TV, TV screen. He ate, a, he ate, like, a massive bit of a raw steak. Yes, he takes bites from steaks. I must say, side note, one of my favourite bits of the piece, the Gina Tolentino New Yorker piece, is when they're at the electric house in Notting Hill and he orders a steak. Yeah. And she's like, steak again? And he's like, yeah, I have to eat loads of protein because I'm from circus stock. Yes. So I'm naturally really sinewy. Because <laughs> well, he's always like active, as in his family was always like active. Yeah, they were like, active. yeah, they were like literal. His, he said both sets of his grandparents were in the circus. That's so funny. Which is quite funny. And it kind of like, I don't know, him like, as we say, like contorting himself on stage into these tiny little shapes. I was like, oh, I can see that for him. So his stage shows, when it was reviewed for Telegraph, the, our music critic gave it five stars. They said it was an amazing performance. The whole show and indeed his last album being funny in a foreign language it's basically like a deconstruction of masculinity it's all it's like fragile and also grotesque form so like on stage he would like have snippets from andrew tate and jordan Mm. peterson it's just like actual performance art Mm. in quite an intelligent way i think he definitely is 
I mean, he wants to be considered as like highbrow, doesn't he? He wants yes. people to be like clapping at his intellectual vision. And you know, yes. I think there's definitely an element of it. But then again, he also said in an interview that he's obsessed with his dick. And that's why there are so many dick jokes on the record. Because he's like, oh, actually, okay. it's just so funny that all men are like so subjugated by their own penis. I.e. such a like stupid, like almost absurd member. But then you don't know when... How do you know he wasn't just saying that to like be provocative and to like investigate masculinity? I think that's what he's doing on purpose, yes. right? He's like leaving all these contradictory breadcrumbs like everywhere. In every interview he does, he's saying different things so that like no one can ever truly pin down what Matty Healy actually thinks. And also, and I think maybe this is maybe investing what he does with maybe too much symbolism, but I think he said, I'm more interested in actually being wrong and people seeing that and knowing what's right because of it, which I think is a bit hoity-toity as in being like, my role in society is to basically make people realize what is right mm. by being wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, but I kind of get what he's saying and he's interested. I guess he's just like... You can see the intention. An experiment, social yeah, experiment. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's like, you know true in like the wankiest sense true artistry yes isn't it? it's like that no boundaries exploration kind of way of doing things but I don't know I think I mean he's clearly I just must say this quite frankly an oddball he is I think he's mischievous all the fans are really loving the New Yorker profile which is rare mm. because most fans hate like most serious a, yeah I think it was a really like well-rounded it, it, yeah it you it was up to you to make up your mind mm what you thought of him. I Gave will you all say, facts. this is probably terribly NPC of me, so maybe I'm just going to lump myself in with Matty Healy. Bags. But he's definitely got that vibe. Like, you can tell that he used to be a heroin addict. You know yeah. that thing? As in visually? Like, no, no, no. Obviously not what he looks like. I mean, just, you know, there's like a certain quality to people that have like had a very serious history with drug abuse. Yes. There's just something Manic. you can tell. Yeah. Whether it's Russell Brand, who I actually like a lot, even though I know a lot of people don't. Matty Healy, like... A restless energy. Yeah, and he really has that. He really embodies that strange... Also, I find, and this energy. is, again, a huge generalisation, but recovering drug addicts or alcohol addicts always change smokers. Yeah, well, he is an interesting one as well, isn't he? Because he obviously came off heroin, like, what, four years ago or something. If you don't know, guys, just as an aside, he originally went to rehab. So he started using when... 1975 were going like stratospheric he hid it from the other band members they found out when they did they basically forced him into rehab he went to rehab for like you know I think it was like 16 weeks or something and then used again like the day after he came out and yes. it was like some kind of you know swanky Barbados it was rehab. yeah and he then started using again in secret and after about a year I think of that kicked it for good and I think the band have been really helpful so those like, quotes about the band were so cute they've all known each other since they were 13 so they really are like brothers and it was quite the way that Gia Tolentino describes like the green room backstage is that it's quite like a familial like setting like one of the band members has his baby there another has his wife I didn't know that Charlie XCX was going out with the drummer it, yeah I didn't know that either I know that is it the drummer? was news to me yeah it was news to yeah. me but the most important well the most interesting thing to us as journalists and hosts of a celebrity culture podcast was his little section on when he talks about fame as performance and I think also performative offense which I think is really tied into celebrity culture as well so he says uh, when he took when Gia asks him about the kind of fury that his comments have provoked among his fans and just the wider 
conversation online um he says but it doesn't actually matter nobody is sitting there at night slumped at their computer and their boyfriend comes over and goes what's wrong darling and they go oh it's just this thing with matty healy he says that doesn't happen thoughts cutters do you ever sit well there? i liked what he said after because gio tolentino is like maybe he does and he's like well if it does you're either deluded or you are sorry a liar you're either lying that you're hurt or you're a bit mental for being hurt <laughs> i'm just like i mean I don't think that he should just negate what the the fact that what he said on the Adam Friedland show or what he laughed along with, like that is offensive. Like what they said about Ice Spice is like without a doubt racist and kind of misogynistic and yeah. just like fucking offensive. But I also do kind of agree with him that like we love to jump on a bandwagon of hating and hating someone that's done something wrong or like you know the kind of like the digital pylon like i don't believe that digital pylons translate into real life like despair no within individuals i just don't as in if you're not if you're one of the horde and i don't believe that most 90 percent of the people tweeting about how toxic someone is or how problematic something is are actually then doing good in the real world as no well. and they might give a shit for like their kind of yeah their own performative outrage in the moment but like what are they like yeah do they actually care in their real lives and what are they doing and surely also that performative outrage is expending energy that they could be using in the real life for instance um there is this absurd open letter that's gone around taylor swift asking her to dump matty healy because of how problematic he is and it's firstly i mean i just have real problems with anyone telling a woman that her boyfriend's actions are her problem yeah the same thing happened to jodie coma when the fans asked her to like dump her right-wing boyfriend like yeah it's kind of got nothing to do with her it doesn't and i'm gonna just be devil's advocate here but on the jodie coma topic i will say i feel that and i, I literally could be wrong about this so yeah. please excuse me if i am but hadn't she like very much aligned herself to like leftist causes i do think I see what you mean i guess like, like if, that does make me think less of her that she would marry a trump supporter republican i'm like mm, i just don't like you as much but i think I that's before. a problem but i think that's a thing right you can think less of someone and you can privately think that you can stop watching their films you can stop being i mean a i fan. wouldn't go that far as well like, like i would still watch something with jodie coma in it i just judged her a bit for it yes I but I think you're yeah. allowed to judge and if you want to take that further you can by not following her work and not watching her but to then write as they did as well to Jodie Comer asking her to it's so entitled it's like it's literally not up to you yeah it's not up to you the fucking fans who she chooses to spend her life with same with the Taylor Swift thing you can stop being a fan you can stop buying tickets to her concerts you can stop listening to her music if it means that much to you that she's dating Matt Healy but to send her an open letter is beyond mad um anyway there's this really fun Twitter thread that I need to read out which is from one of these fans but do go and read the open letter because it's so absurd it's literally like we implore you to use this moment to become a catalyst for healing and for personal change. It's like, you sound so, oh, you're a bunch up. of probably like 16 year old tragic losers that have no life that are literally spending their time writing an open letter to Taylor Swift rather than like getting on with their own literally. careers. Like someone who should be revising for their exams are <laughs> writing to a 33 year old no, woman. It's just telling us and in a way, ironically, I think that literally speaks to what Matty Healy is saying that we live in this like bonkers performative echo chamber where all of this fake outrage fuels so much of what's discussed in the public sphere yes it informs 
the media as well like there's so many articles written about this actually only reacting to a tiny unhinged part of the online population which actually do not at all represent the wider conversation that people are having in their real lives like i'm sure our parents do not even know that this conversation is happening no um there's a really funny bit in the open letter where they go they've clearly like you know when like you're 16 and you write your first like cover letter and it's like the f- like you're sincerely and with best wishes you know you just write like yeah. the most absurd jargon yeah well they've written we urge you to reflect on the impact of your own and your associates behavior what is this what is taylor's just associate you mean her team like why are you writing like some animals you mean her boyfriend or what do you mean don't know and rolling stone actually wrote a piece saying the taylor swift's thing it li- literally wouldn't be an issue if she was a man like if the roles were reversed, like Matty Healy would not be getting shit for dating Taylor Swift as she'd been the one being racist on a podcast. See, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Do you think? I think if you're as much of a public person as either of those two are, every word you say, every bit of promo you do is going to be put under a microscope. Interesting. I feel like maybe... I don't like say, Taylor Swift got in trouble loads of times. She got in trouble for not saying anything about whether she did or didn't support Trump and was or wasn't a Republican and all the rest of it in the run-up. But I think, me- yeah, but I think women get way more flack. Yeah, I mean, women obviously do get more flack, but I don't think if a very famous man went out with a very famous woman who constantly espoused very questionable beliefs the fans wouldn't write an open letter that people wouldn't say anything maybe it's true i mean i guess um chris evans got a weird open letter from his fans telling for hiding his relationship for hiding his relationship also i do wonder though if fans think that men won't listen to them whereas they'll have more luck writing to a female celebrity yeah i think there might be an unconscious yeah i agree with that she might actually do something about it whereas the guy it's like well they probably won't care about our letter yeah and you're right about that um anyway this funny thread i'm going to read it it's from this woman called holly stoolcup um god it's quite long okay i can't no give us the headlines because also you'll ruin it for people that actually want to go away and look at it yes basically she says before i leave for new york new york city here's a thread on seeing taylor this weekend while she is dating a racist islamophobic islamophobic anti-semitic overall problematic white man while i don't necessarily owe anyone this thread it's important for me to take my public leadership seriously now at this point i would just like to why is um, this person a public leader? She has 9,000 followers on Twitter and she's <laughs> executive director for Now She Rises. Never heard of it. Right. But she basically comes to the conclusion that she, despite having listened to many marginalized Taylor Swift fans um, and despite the tension of the ticket that I have in front of me, the seats are simply too good for her not oh, to Oh, stop attend. it. So she went anyway. So she went anyway. So this is exactly why people have an issue. You're doing this massive, like, sincere thread. And then you round it off with, I'm going anyway. I'm sorry, but just shut up. Like, literally, what was the point? You don't know anyone this thread? No, because it's irrelevant. Yes, if you were actually taking a stand and not going to her show, then fair enough. Like, you know, people can hear about that. Good for you, you know, if you're going to be that personally principled. Like, literally, really good for you. And then she says... I've kept comments closed here because in this, I'm not looking for feedback or affirmation. As if she's literally expecting everyone to reply being like, thank you so much for letting us know of the tension that you hold in your ticket. Thank you so much for letting us know that you almost didn't go to the show, but then did. That's literally... I'm sorry. No, I actually... Like, no wonder... And she says, I'm not looking to be lauded as someone, as some wonderful person for really doing the bare minimum. Well, yes. You haven't done anything. You just made a Twitter thread that draws attention to yourself like a massive narcissist. And then she rounds off with saying, 
If you are a fan of Taylor who falls into a marginalized group more intimately impacted by this, I'd be happy and honored to hear from you. Thanks for listening and for letting me be human. And there are no replies because... So it went viral. So, I was no, going to say, because what would be interesting would be the replies. It went viral and everyone was like, you need to get offline. Literally. You need to have a life. The, in fact, the, I, would, a life. I would urge everyone to go and look at the thread. Holly Stoolcup is named just because the replies are so funny because it, no one agrees with her and everyone is okay, like... Okay, right. Okay, good. Just checking there weren't like cohorts of Swifties backing her up. No. And that is what is quite actually reassuring when you do read. I do feel like the internet is in some ways becoming more rational. The more irrational mm. parts of it become, it's actually making more... back. Yeah. Like often I see on Instagram now, a lot of the comments behind like a provocative post about like performative affront or all the comments like, I'm tired, please next. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, it's very funny. Um, and it was the same with the open letter. Actually, I noticed that most of the replies on Twitter were literally like, you will need help. Like, You're you just like seriously tragic if this is what you actually. Also, it just upsets me in a way because I'm like, oh my God, like young people are mobilizing to write open letters to Taylor Swift about her boyfriend rather than about like climate change and the swing towards the right and authoritarianism. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so many more important things that young people could actually like be unifying over. I also, I totally agree. I think it's ex- wasted energy. I also yeah. really like the fact that Taylor has not reacted to it. She's yes. refused to engage with it. I mean, there are reports that her and Matty have broken up, which if that is down to the Swifties, that is so bloody irritating. I mean, I don't really believe the sources because it's like, ooh, they weren't that compatible with each, with each other, which does seem a bit like not what a real source would say. Um, so we'll see if that ends up to be horseshit. But yeah, I am really pleased that she didn't like deign to, to engage with the fans. Guys, PSA, we have to tell you about London's hottest new hack that is a game changer for date night and will be music to the ears of all the foodies listening, I promise. Yes, honeys, you know that we love a fancy meal here at Straight Up. So, Yonder is a premium lifestyle credit card and our new sponsor. And hear us out, this isn't just any ordinary credit card. The points you earn can be spent at some of London's best restaurants, cafes, bars and entertainment hotspots and new members can try Yonder out for free for the first six months. Bargain. The money you spend using the card from your weekly food shop to your summer holiday converts directly into points that you can then spend at these incredible places from bow to cricket to crossbows to lena stores you name it now i've had credit cards with convertible points before but they're always so limiting in terms of where you can spend them it's business hotels or boring brands that feel quite irrelevant or quite frankly just way too expensive yonder is the first credit card that lets you spend points in the places that you'd actually want to go anyway trust me guys it's so good that when my boyfriend first got yonder and took me out for a free dinner with his points so romantic i immediately reached out to yonder myself to see if they partner with us because i had to tell you about it it's also a genuinely amazing way to discover new restaurants or try new things in London, particularly since the experiences are changed up every month. I, for one, have booked to go to a pasta workshop at a restaurant in Shoreditch using my points, and it's definitely not something I would do otherwise. Very exciting. Very exciting, babe. Similarly, my boyfriend and I went to Soho's new super cute, cosy British restaurant, Sussex, on Sunday evening, which I definitely wouldn't have done otherwise. I would be at home, pigging out on a delivery, feeling sorry for myself. So, the details. After you've passed the six-month free child, the card costs £15 a month, which may seem like a lot if you don't already pay for a premium credit card, but something that immediately makes the cost worth it for me is the fact that the monthly premium includes worldwide travel insurance and you can use the card abroad with no FX fee, no matter what the currency. 
considering I pay similar travel insurance anyway and rack up about 15 quid in currency conversion fees every time I go abroad. It was a no-brainer for me. Head to yondercard.com to download the app and try Yonder for free for your first six months, plus get £5 to spend on one of Yonder's treat experiences. Approval is subject to eligibility and you need to be over 18 and a UK resident to apply. A membership fee and T's and C's apply. Borrow responsibly. The representative rate is 64% APR variable. So go get earning those points. Thank you to our partner Yonder. Talking of people that actually avoid cancellation, which I think Taylor Swift has done really well to just not fan the flames and just not engage. I was reading a Caroline Calloway interview this week for Vanity Fair. And she did this, she was quoted about how to survive the riptide of cancellation. Maybe just for the listeners that don't know who Caroline Calloway is, give a little explainer. Caroline Calloway is one of the many scammers. Um, she's basically like the OG Anna Delvey. She was a Cambridge, she was an American a student who went to Cambridge and then basically went viral in the first early days of Instagram, constantly like chronicling her fairy tale life at Cambridge University. Um, and then she wrote a book or rather she got paid £500,000 for a book she was meant to write about her life, um, except turns out most of the book proposal had been ghostwritten by one of her friends at Cambridge. And she'd like nicked it off them or she paid them to do it. I've forgotten yes. now. She paid them to do it. Like She paid a friend as a PA basically, hadn't she? Essentially. A, a PA with air quotes. Exactly. And a lot of the captions that had actually made her go Insta famous in the first place were also written by said woman, Natalie Beach. Who then did end up doing like a kind of expose, did she not? And it was the cut's most read piece of that year like that was it yeah it was, was like the first time I heard about it actually through that piece the piece was titled I was Caroline Calloway <laughs> we'll pop it in the show notes guys for anyone it's very good have a little look through so then so yeah so Caroline Calloway also turns out she lied on her Cambridge application so I don't know what she lied about but in this new Vanity Fair piece it says that was also fraudulently obtained so Caroline Calloway then went on to OnlyFans to try and recoup the debt that she owed her publisher I think she owed them like £130,000 advance she spent it yeah she'd spent it (laughs) don't spend your book advance guys if you're not going to write the book Um, (laughs) I'll never be paid £130,000 for a book advance I know that's a fabulous massive book deal yeah it was with the foreign rights as well. It was like three, seven, five thousand, and then with foreign rights up to five hundred thousand. Mad. She basically did lots of topless um, videos of her as different literary characters, and that's oh how God. she made back her book advance. I think about two years ago, she made it back. She's so, off OnlyFans now. So why is Vanity Fair profiling her? Because so yeah, why does any why why should we care? Why should we care, Hans? Because finally. Her first piece of literature is coming out, allegedly. It's called oh. Scammer. It's her memoir. It's her story, I guess. Um, but the piece by Lily Analik for Vanity Fair is so funny. I really urge you to read it because she basically suggests that this book is never going to come out. And this, even this very interview, by even writing this interview about how she's going to write this book, is just her becoming another... We're finding like, the flames hive, of her narcissism. Yes. And she's like, I'm essentially another Natalie Beach. I'm just another hive mind writing... Caroline's story for her interesting <laughs> so she, it's like really interesting the way she like kind of turns the story meta. yes um so do read it because it's actually a really good example of a celebrity interview 
that has such fun with the form and like goes on a journey and like you end up somewhere completely different to where you started on like Ooh, most okay. interviews which are so boring um but she and on the top of cancellation I think two pieces of advice which make you realize I think she is actually quite smart just unhinged she says that if you get cancelled you must not struggle you want to clear your name you want to set the record straight don't You'll expend your energy too quickly and drown. You need to follow the current, even if the last thing you want to do is go in the direction public opinion is carrying you. And she explains that basically that's why she lent into her scammer identity in her book's called Scammer. Yeah, yeah. Same reason with Anna Delvey, who's doing a whole podcast about yeah. going to jail and scamming people. Well, that's what John Ronson says in So You've Been Publicly Shamed anyway, doesn't he? Which is all so about like to... online pylons and cancellation. You cannot resist. Yeah, just stay quiet. And then she says... Um, if you've ever, if you've never had any scandals, my advice would be to continue to have none. But then she says, but if you've had, oh, what great sage advice. Yes. But then she says, if you've had one, you need to have as many as possible so that no one can uh, no longer distinguish. There's not like one defining scandal. They become, yeah. She says it's information overload fatigue is the same with the Kardashians and Trump. Like you can no longer distinguish. You can't get cancelled for anything, which I actually do think is quite accurate. Oh yeah, it is. The more that, I mean, it's kind of even goes back to Matty Healy. Like we say, the more like accusations are piled at someone, the less you can even like identify exactly what they're doing that's wrong. Yes, I actually think Matty Healy is almost like completely bulletproofed himself from being cancelled now. Because you can't tell exactly what he thinks and what he doesn't. Yeah, and also he's now done so many problematic yeah. things that who the, he, he doesn't, he's still got a music deal and he doesn't care. So you literally can't touch him. Yeah. So I think it's quite fitting really, isn't it? With the whole, like, we didn't even really want to talk about it because it's annoying, <laughs> but equally we have to, and we appreciate our public duty to you guys, Phil Schofield. Mm. Like that whole, sorry, sordid affair. God. It's just being blown a bit out of proportion in my mind. Like I do totally get that if he groomed the young male lover from the age of 14, then of course that's like criminal, paedophilic, but... Equally, if that's not the focus and we're talking about them having a, you know, consensual. a consensual affair with him age 20. Yes, the power dynamics off, Phil got him the job, whatever else. But like, seriously, people need to get a grip. Like, it's not, I don't, I, I don't think it should be dominating public conversation in the way that it actually is. It is just not that much of a big deal. I also think that by blowing up the story so much, we're just ruining Matthew McCreevy's life even more. The poor man who yes has has even left his pub. Job. He had to leave uh, TV to go and work in a pub a couple of years ago. Now he's left his pub job, and there are pictures of him all over the tabloids. Yeah, it's so cruel. Like it's so unbelievably unfair on him, and yet. I feel like the narrative is like, let's just like hound Phil Schofield and let's do the right thing and expose all of this horrible corruption at ITV. And it's like, yeah, at the expense of a 20 year old who is the victim in all this anyway. Yes. My one uh, counterpoint would be that I have heard and the Telegraph has written a piece about this, I think, that he that there are lots of stories about him being a bully behind the scenes a bit. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And that's why Eamon Holmes is obviously jumping on it. I mean, Eamon Holmes, my God, it's actually hilarious how much he is like, someone needs to take so much wind out. Yeah, I'm literally like, you must stop now, stop tweeting and stop. He's like called for like anyone that's ever kissed Phil to come forward. And so I'm like, all right, you literally need to like stop appointing yourself as the head of this witch hunt. (laughs) (laughs) Just because you got kicked (laughs) off this morning with your wife, like 10 years ago, (laughs) or like, 
taken down to just Fridays or whatever it's it is. So I don't funny. know. I mean, it shows what a fucking tragic nation we are. That everyone cares that much about this daytime TV show, which yeah. I'm sorry to say I have actually never watched in my entire life. Um, so I don't know how good it is or isn't anyway. I know people did love the, the chemistry between Phil and Holly. One thing I will say that if it's true that he is a bully, allegedly, and therefore he does abuse power, then I do feel sorry for Matthew because apparently as well, allegedly, he basically left him hung out to dry and that's why he had to leave TV. He like kicked him oh, off. He had to go oh, is, his- yeah, I don't know anything about the story in terms of like post the affair. So I think a few years ago, basically, Matthew had to go on to like some dead show. He probably got kicked off when it was all going to come out that Phil was gay. Because yes. basically when Phil came out as gay, now what's transpired in hindsight, that was that the papers, I think, was it the mail, was threatening to expose that story. No, it was Dan Wotton. It was Dan Wotton at the Sun, that awful show. Yeah. Shown us. They were going to expose the story about Phil and the young lover, which is why then Phil like beat them to the post and did his like coming out the closet. Yes, speech. which at the time was it was so obvious that it was like burying a different story, wasn't it? Yes. It felt and very... Yeah, it did. And uh, yeah, people generally do say that Phil and Holly are just not nice people. I saw a stylist Holly piece as well. actually. Yeah, stylist has commissioned a former like exec from this morning who's like, oh, she was at ITV and she's like, they're horrible. They're not nice to be around. That funny, jokey persona that they put on for like the TV screens is not what goes on behind the camera. Oh my God. So I think they're definitely quite toxic and they're definitely massive narcissists. But I've always, I've never liked, I know this sounds really ridiculous. I don't mean like the look, like literally the aesthetic look, but like I've never liked the look of Phil. I've always thought he looks a bit like dodgy and a bit like, have you seen the BBC interview where he's like holding the bloody every vape and he's like vaping and vaping. And like, I know. I saw lots of tweets being like, sorry, where is his PR? Yeah. Like what the hell? Why do you have that bloody mirror in your hand? Like the most like... A disposable Ridiculous vape. disposable vape. And when he said as well, again, I'm, this isn't like funny. Obviously, I do feel sorry for him, of course. And I get that like, well, I don't know. Do I feel sorry for him? I mean, okay, I should contextualize that to say I feel sorry for him within the very like small context of obviously to be subject to a public humiliation like this is horrific yes and i worry for his mental health and he did say, but when he goes there's that clip i saw this thing and i was like that's so ack it's like he's like do you want me to die because that's where i am and i saw this tweet that was like all right phil schofield taking one straight out of the toxic ex-boyfriend playbook <laughs> that, like, is that, is that is funny that is quite that is funny obviously caveating that we hope he's okay um but that is but even the way funny. he says it if you actually see the clip as well it's like you're such a narcissist mate like this isn't really about you yes it's not about you, but he can, he sees it as he's the victim in all this, not the poor chap who, as you say, has had his entire career. I know. Go and up in flames. What I also find slightly troubling is that Phil is paying for his lawyers. Oh, is he? Mm. Oh, that's odd. Which I mean, well, if we look at it in best case scenario, it's because Matthew McGreevy clearly doesn't have the money to pay for good lawyers and Phil feels guilty. But, but so why does he need lawyers, Matthew McGreevy? Like against who? I guess just. I don't know. Is someone taking him to court? Like, why would he need... No, I think just... Just so he needs representation. Just representation and protection. Legal protection. Yeah. But also the fact that Phil's paying for his lawyers. Has Matthew McCreevy even spoken? No, not at all. And that's what I think is like so awful about this whole thing. Like, Matthew McCreevy's probably never even wanted this entire story to go public. And it is quite wild that the British tabloids can push ahead with something like this. I guess they say it's in public interest without 
either party of a relationship wanting it to be public. I don't know. Yeah, it's not in the public. But interest. if he was a child, then it's totally different. And I guess that's the argument. I mean, Holly's speech was absolutely absurd when she did the public... The fake crying. ...acknowledgement on this morning and started with, are you okay? I hope so. Like, yeah, we're all fine. Like, no one cares that much. Like, as yeah. you said in the comments, like, everyone is fine and living. And this is, like, a massive drama for you and your career and your life. But the general public is just watching with, like, horror. fascinated horror. Yeah. Like, it's not actually as no one is slumped over their computer about this. Are no. They, quite frankly. No. And she was like, I imagine a lot of you, I imagine you've been feeling a lot like I have. Shaken, troubled, <laughs> let down and worried. Is the whole nation shaken and troubled right now? Or is everyone just watching the downfall of a massive TV ego? Put that on a t-shirt, cappers. <laughs> oh, soundbite central. Um, yes, I think also there's a Good Times piece today about how it just shows how insane celebrity culture has become, that we have become unable to distinguish between a TV personality, which let's be clear, is a character actor. Like yeah. that is not Phil Schofield and Holly Willoughby as they are normally. They are acting because you have to on TV to present that kind of show for 19 years. They are character actors. And we have become unable to distinguish between a person and their TV personality. And that's why that, that's why there's so much outrage. Yeah. They're like, oh, but they're so nice and they're so cute together. How could they possibly but, have done this? But actually like public opinion was turning anyway from since when the queen died and they like did or didn't push the queue. Yes. So there's been, this has been boiling away for a matter of time. And I do think that there is an element of people at ITV, insiders, former TV execs, whatever. People want to take down Phil and Holly. I actually think that's where a lot of this like vitriol is like coming yes. from. Because they've, they're, they're not who, like you say, they're not who they pretend they are. Exactly. And I would like to uh, also quote this uh, writer who says that this whole shebang has caused him to think the celebrity culture is 21st century's new religion, where we once had priests to curate the sensual and lucrative illusion. Now we have advertisers and PR consultants who shape the story. They give us heroes and occasionally villains, parables, morality tales, and gossip. So true. It's true. Celebrity culture it's is our so, modern day so true. Bible Yeah, with the villains and angels. Yeah. What are we? We are the... We are the apostles. We are. Keeping the, the telling the story. Writing the script. Writing the script. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Can you tell the listeners quickly what you told me off air as well about Johnny Depp getting that standing ovation at Cannes? Because I feel like it's quite relevant to yes. old Phil Schofield. So another uh, controversial star, Johnny Depp, who, interestingly, says a lot about France, my mother country. Uh, well, is it my mother country? It's not yeah, actually. well... Well, it uh, is, because my weird, mother is Yeah, French. it's got that double meaning, because yeah. no, it's not like your mother country where you are actually from, but your mother is French. Currently, I only have a French passport. I don't even have a British one. Anyway, so his new film, Jeanne du Barry, which is about Louis the 15th. Is it um, French? Yes. Well, Johnny Depp speaks French in it. Actually, but he does speak fluent French, doesn't he? I guess he was married to Vanessa Paradis. Yes. Well, apparently the director, Maiwen, said his French was not great, which is why mm. the film is mostly about his expression. Right. Um, anyway, so interestingly, <laughs> can the, the opening gala was his film, which a lot of people said was problematic because it's basically a statement in, of intent from France, from Cannes, being like, we will stand by the cancelled star, blah, blah, blah. The reviews have been pretty mixed. The Telegraph said it was shit. 
that he's basically only good at like playing the like buffoon parts of the film but all the most serious bits are just ridiculous and you don't believe his chemistry with Mai Wen who plays the courtesan that he falls in love with Mai Wen is also the director and what's really interesting is that um, she is also a really controversial person in France she recently got into loads of trouble for physically harassing a male journalist in a restaurant Mm. Um, she spat on him because she was upset about an investigation that the said journalist was publishing into the rape and sexual assault allegations against her ex-husband, Luc Besson, who's a famous mm. film director. So it's all a big, like, weird mess of, like, cancelled personalities. And, like, both of them together are pretty toxic. And apparently she offered the role to two other French actors who turned it down, because I think they probably don't want to be associated with her. Even Johnny though, Depp was like, I'll take it. Yeah, Anything literally. that you can give me. I mean, to be fair, she's quite, she's won, like, a César, which is, like, the equivalent of an Oscar in France. And she's won a lot of prizes. So what actually happened with Johnny Depp at Cannes? Did, didn't so he get a standing ovation? He got a standing yeah, ovation. For a film that everyone else says is shit. Well, but then the Independent, and this is perennial problem with like everyone has different takes wildly different takes we all have our own consciousness (laughs) so the telegraph said it was terrible beautifully shot but just terrible script no chemistry and the independent said it was just really fun oh so maybe go with like somewhere in between i don't know depends um it depends how seriously you want to take the film i guess it's probably good fun to watch i feel Interestingly enough, after all the debate that we've had today, I don't want to endorse Johnny Depp and I will not be spending money on his film. No, I, I, it's inter- Dior have picked back up yeah, their $20 million yeah. deal, which is interesting. I find him a really hideous, like tragic figure now. Johnny I Depp. can't, yeah, I can't like unsee everything that went on. And obviously I do have to say, I very much believe everything that Amber had said. So yes, yeah, so, yeah, same. And I don't think she's... A, I think she's a nasty piece of work as well, but I, I think... Yeah, yeah, but I think she's telling the truth. Yeah, same. I think they're both clearly massive narcissists, but hey, most famous people are. I think the unfortunate thing is that she was never a particularly good actor to start with, so she didn't have great Hollywood ambitions pre Being his wife. And now she has none. But like, I know Hollywood has treated them really unfairly, but the problem is, that, well, the... Johnny Depp was at one point seen as a great actor. She never was. Yeah. So obviously people are clamoring to work with him in a way that they never would have for her. I think she is going to be an Aquaman too. Oh, she is. I think so. But he's got another film directing Al Pacino in the forthcoming biopic of the artist Amadeo Modigliani, who is famous for his oh. nudes. Is, is Johnny Depp in it or just the director? I think he's just directing it. But Al Pacino clearly is on Depp's side. I mean, all that, mm. that like old Van Gogh Those Hollywood. Old, old men. But my when I found some interviews where she describes like the ethics of working with him and she said that she reached out to him before the trial and then she made a point of not following the trial Mm -hmm. and that she felt it was a very much professional decision and she didn't want the trial to influence her decision making which some would say is irresponsible and she said um she's also quite anti me too so when the whole me too movement was happening in 2020 Uh, She said, it's crazy how many stupidities they say these days. Um, When I hear women complaining that men are only interested in their bottom, I tell them, enjoy it because it won't last. (laughs) God, that's so French, isn't it? Who was it? Was it Angelica? I want to say Angelica Houston, but I don't think she's French. There was an actress that got in trouble all around the time of Me Too for... Was it Catherine? I think it was Catherine Deneuve. Yeah. Yeah, there is yes, a really... Yes, it was Catherine Deneuve. They yeah. basically haven't had a Me Too movement because they're all just like, oh my God, shut up. Like it's normal for your husband to have an affairs and you just turn a blind eye. Yeah. I mean, 
even um, Isabelle Huppert was in that film Elle, which I saw, which is basically a uh, a woman enjoying being raped. Becomes obsessed with her rapist. Yeah. I, remember you, I think you talked about it on the show. Did I? Fact. God, I can't Lovely really... listeners, go back and you will find it somewhere in the depths of our 75 episode archive. Yeah, literally. Anyway, tell me about... Platonic. Platonic. Our new favourite show. We've both got another recommendation shared this week because we loved it so much. It's the new sitcom about a platonic pair of friends on Apple TV. It features Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. You might remember they were in Bad Neighbours together about 10 years ago. Yeah. They have such fabulous chemistry as friends, don't they? It's like a 10-parter. Only four episodes are out so far. Have you watched them all? I have. Have you? The Divorce Party. So good. Don't worry, guys. We won't give you any spoilers. But it essentially follows these platonic besties who met in college who approaching midlife reconnect after a long rift because Rose Byrne's character had told Seth Rogen's character that she didn't like the woman he was marrying. They then reconnect when she hears that he's got a divorce. Also, side note guys, but it's written, well, created by a husband and wife. Is it? Which is quite fun. And it's looking essentially at the like Harry Met Sally conundrum, which is... Can men and women ever really be friends? Obviously, Harry Met Sally posits yes. no. Thoughts yourself? Uh, I mean, I think that's like quite a dated view. Yes, I think men and women absolutely can be friends. However, I will caveat that quickly with um, my belief that it is perhaps more women who tend to be convinced by that than men. Have Do you find that all these intersex friendships have to go through a period of fancying each other at the beginning. No, I don't think that's true at all. Like loads of my closest male friends, it's never been that vibe. From your side? Well, yes. I mean, I guess that's like we're saying, I'm sure, you know, basically I saw a tweet even the other day that was like all male, all female male friendships, like all of men's female friendships are just failed talking stages. <laughs> that's good. That is really good. So I think maybe, yes, there's probably an elephant for a lot of men when they get chatting to a woman, they might be thinking, you know, where else could this go? That said, I think when you when you get older, and this sounds insane, I know, but there are less opportunities to meet friends of the opposite sex in that very platonic setting. Do you know what I mean? So like uni is like the great time to meet friends. Like I think that my absolute best friend at uni was a boy. Love him so much. There's absolutely no strangeness you know, underpinning the relationship. He actually went out for years with one of my best friends that's a girl um, as well. So I do think that that's possible, but equally those opportunities become less and less and less when you get older. Yes, and I also reckon that because of the lack of opportunities and because of couples becoming more and more insular, that when you do make a new friend, when you're, say, in your Mm. 40s, it immediately attracts suspicion. Yes, like I actually have to say also, even with that friend, again, as I say, love him loads, but I'd actually never see him anymore. And we were like literally thick as thieves at uni. And it's not because we like fell out or anything like that. We kind of just like drifted after like in the years that have been since. I have that as well. Yeah. And I think now, like you say, it would be odd to rekindle our friendship. I mean, it wouldn't be weird to rekindle our friendship. But as in, like, it'd be weird to then suddenly spend like loads of time with him when you're in a different romantic relationship. I don't know. Yeah, I know it shouldn't be weird, but it would be. Like if my partner suddenly reconnected with an old female friend and spent like every weekend with her, I would be be suspicious. What's going on? 
However, the actors apparently had loads of conversations really early on to make sure that it could never seem that the characters were going to like cross really? that line. Yeah, they really didn't want the audience to feel, will they get together? Like they wanted it to be genuinely like platonic. They didn't want almost the punchline to be, oh, are they going to cheat? That's so interesting because I bet it's actually really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, uh, apparently uh, Seth Rogen said, I honestly just don't like things about infidelity. I just don't like it. That was something I was so, so clear on and something we talked about a lot. How do we signal to the audience? That's not a thing we have to worry about. They can enjoy the show, laugh and not have this nagging thing at the back of their heads like, is she going to cheat on her husband with this guy? Which is a very delicate line to toe and I think they do it perfectly. Yes, and they even do show a bit of the husband's paranoia slight jealousy but it's in but he's still the one that actually told her to reconnect with him in the first place i also wonder if part of the reason that they did it, uh, how they managed to succeed in this one thing i noticed was she immediately makes jokes being like don't you think i'm sexy when she's looking unsexy or like yeah she draws they, they, it's not like they pretend that they don't have bodies or you know no. that they're not that they can't be sexual it's like almost brotherly sisterly vibes yes isn't it? like it's kind of i mean I read this in a review, I think they were saying like the will they won't they trope is more about will they won't they be friends after this much time has passed than will they won't they get together. Yes. And also one of my favorite scenes, I don't know about you, is the drug scene. This isn't really a spoiler. She takes the K. And one of my pet peeves when I watch TV shows and film is when like actors pretend to be high just because it's so lame it's always like in a nightclub and they're oh, like she's waving so their, good. but she's so it's good it's so bang on it's actually hilarious it's just so funny it's so funny i'm trying to even think like when she what does she say she's like, she bumps into that friend the like mom from school it's just too much it's you well uh, yeah it, guys honestly like i defy we anyone can't to not enjoy that show like anyone would enjoy the show like who would possibly watch this and not like it. Unless you like specifically hate Seth Rogen or something. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like It's really cute. It's really wholesome, really heartwarming, really funny. Like Ellie says, still a bit transgressive. It's not too twee. What I also really like about it is just how much it kind of reminds us that adult friendships are so important and we shouldn't neglect them. Because I think so, even now I'm realizing that so many of my friends have coupled off and we will only ever hang out as couples. Yeah, I've definitely made, like um, neglected some of my male friendships. Like you say, I, I've prioritized my male friendships in, in terms of the people that are like in a broader group or that are like going out with one of my friends. Yeah. And actually... It is a real shame. I think you become a bit dependent on... I, I know that, for instance, if I go and see friends with my partner, I only have to do half the legwork. Isn't that so lazy? But sometimes what do you, you mean know, the legwork? Well, you know when you're like going to a dinner party and stuff, and you're like, it's easier when you can kind of fall back on your other person... See, like for conversation. No, I don't know what you mean. Oh, I've Sorry. had that before. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm quite glad you're here to pick up the slack when I can't. When I know, I can't no, think okay, I no, no, say. I have felt. But that's like unusual. That's not with like actual friends. That's no, when that's you go true. to like something with like acquaintances yes that's true it's definitely happened with actual friends yeah. <laughs> run your social batteries run a bit yeah a bit low they really do 
right cathers before we dive into the rest of the episode i have some fascinating news to tell you that i think our listeners will be very interested in too it's about people who are sensitive to sound like me go on okay so background all my life i've struggled with noise and will become literally paralyzed with irritation if i hear loud eating noises loud typing loud scratching don't get me started on cutlery scraping on a plate my teeth feel like they're gonna fall off and i've actually got angry with my boyfriend before for breathing too loudly when i was reading my book and he was like do you literally want me to stop being alive anyway i've always thought this was just part of my impatient personality but recently found out this has a name misophonia which causes a negative emotional reaction to common sounds that is absolutely fascinating babe because i must say i had never heard of it either i definitely feel quite seen though because as you know i also really struggle with distracting sounds which i've only recently realized is actually Mm. like an adhd thing my friend at work used to laugh at me so much because i'd have to put on headphones with no sound or anything playing coming out just to be able to focus what can we do about this very real problem honey okay so the reason i found out is because i discovered flare audio's karma earbuds which essentially soften these sounds for highly sensitive people they're our new podcast sponsor and i'm so thrilled because you guys are genuinely gonna love it and they were literally made for me i think that is so amazing and i need to know how they work immediately okay so our ears are shaped like shells and so the sound we receive is always distorted about 20 percent. and whilst most people's brains filter that distortion out our brains don't so the karma earbuds shape helps do that for us they're very tiny very unobtrusive perfect for cleaning up annoying sounds when you're in distracting environments from a cafe when you're remote working to when you're in the office and everyone's eating at their desks and the sound of their chewing fills you with a violent rage this is literally a game changer because i know so many people that get extremely enraged by troughing which is Uh, what my friend millie kind of calls it can you get it troughing yeah loud eating actually vile but i'm very excited to be a far more kindly patient person who can block all those hideous sounds out yes exactly and don't just take my word for it guys they've sold a million pairs since the launch and lockdown and they even do mini versions for kids who get easily distracted and overwhelmed be at school or at a restaurant so cute i know this sounds absolutely amazing my love where the hell can we get these life-saving earbuds so grab yours for 19 pounds 95 at flareaudio.com thank you so much to flare audio also we should shout out marlon's new music we should go check it out guys marlon percy protect me stream it up go listen to it everywhere and anywhere is it about you it's about all the women in his life actually so, so his- it's not specifically a love song the last song about the last song that was about me got featured on the spotify playlist lesbian bangers so he was happy about that I did not know that. That is so funny. And he was like, what? Random. And Does it sound like a lesbian it's banger? It's because I was like, why specifically lesbian bangers? And actually, I, we realised it's because, because um, it's like a love song that's like you, it's genderless. So he doesn't oh. say he or she at any point in it. But that was just because of the tense in which it's in. Oh, I see. Well, uh, made it a surefire fit for lesbian bangers. So I love great. that. I love that for lesbians and you. Um, okay. Talking of dating. I need to tell you Do. about my crazy stats. Yeah. Are you ready for this? So guys, firstly, can I just say, these are stats gleaned from Stephen Bartlett's Diary of a CEO podcast. I'm sorry to bring it up because I actually bring it up all the time and it's annoying. I think it's fair enough. Uh, we it's fair enough, yeah. Well, maybe it's not annoying. I just feel like it's the only podcast I ever talk about, but perhaps that it is. It is. Yes. But pretty. It's not annoying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But this guy was on it. I watched an old episode the other day. And while the whole episode wasn't that interesting, like it was this guy called Chris Williamson, who actually was originally on Love Island. He was on the first season of Love Island and Take Me Out and was kind of like... The first season ever. Yeah. And now is like one of the biggest podcasters in the world. And has this huge 
God, I should probably show you what it's called. He has this huge podcast that's called like, I don't know, The Intellectual Something or The Something University and interviews all the typical podcast people, all the Joe Rogan It's not types. called The University of Life, is it? It's called The Modern Wisdom Podcast. That's a shit name. It is, isn't it? And he basically shares some really interesting info all about why men and women are no longer compatible. Mm. He also didn't credit it, unlike the rest of what he talked about. So I assume it is like not his own research, but he's kind of come up with this particular idea. He basically argues that there's a specific like social reason why women feel that there are no good men available when they get to a certain age. It's because he says there's not, literally. The dating pool is made up, is far more heavily weighted with amazing women, essentially, than it is with men. And that's creating, obviously, these massive power imbalances. Uh, And why is that? So he basically says, I'll start with the very simple fact. 78% of women want to date a man who is as educated or more employed than they are so women like to date up yes or across not down yes obviously for men that's not an issue lots of men date women that don't have high socioeconomic status it's not a major driver for them and why they even like might swipe right on a woman like men are women are literally like twice as likely to value like financial prospects in a partner than men are Mm. a woman's job isn't a huge deal Chris William basically calls this, I thought it was a bit of a weird name for it. He calls it the tall girl problem, which obviously I know he's trying to get at the fact that women that are really tall only want to date guys that are taller than them. Right, Therefore, right, right, if you're a yeah. six foot woman, there aren't that many men to actually pick from. No. If you want a man taller than you. He says that this pool of men in the dating world has become so small and has disenfranchised huge swathes of men in the process. And this is like polarizing the sexes and creating further resentment, essentially because of progress for women. So he says, obviously, quite rightly, women achieving parity in all aspects of life is a brilliant thing. But the knock-on effect of this has essentially been that now we're in a world where women are more highly educated and have better job projects than men. Yeah. So therefore, women are looking at their equivalents and being like, there aren't that many men that have a job as good as mine. Yeah. Or better. And this increase in like female achievement in the past 50 years, apparently by 2030, there will be two women for every one man in like a US college course is like shifting the power so that basically women have become like literally more successful in their twenties. Interestingly, women in their twenties, so 21 to 29 on average earn more than their male counterparts. Interesting. Obviously it gets skewed later. And I guess maybe it's where children come into the mix, but he argues that people on both sides are feeling so much resentment, particularly I should caveat this. It's obviously within a heterosexual, like normative dating construct, man and woman that there's resentment on all sides, basically because this huge leap forward for women has meant that the dating pool has become marked by all these brilliant women, as I say, and then this tiny percentage of men for whom all the women are competing. Yeah. So this like 20% of men get massive egos they think they're brilliant because all of these women want them. They often end up like sleeping around. They become commitment phobes. So that's not good for them. That's not good for that 20% of men. The rest of men, the 80% of men that don't have jobs that are quite as good as women who are highly educated, yada, 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 they've just become invisible. They become completely invisible in society or to women. And I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to see like that's clearly where like incel culture is coming from yes. and all the rest of it. Yes. And 
women are becoming extremely resentful because they're like men are dickheads. Men are out of order. These men are like playing us, you know, because that 20% of ego driven men are behaving badly. Yeah. Because now the whole of mankind, like literal men are being tarred with the same brush. And so increasingly even more so this 80% of men who feel invisible are going well hold on a minute it's not all men and actually why and so they're starting to hate women too basically it all comes from perceived equality because while it's an incredible thing in our professional lives in terms of self-development all the rest of it that shift isn't working within the context of online dating, We've especially. He's outgrown our biology. Yeah, but and, and that he thinks online dating is like terrible. Like, um, we even weirdly, there's funny little things like guys with a masters get ninety percent more swipes right That's than so a guy with just an undergraduate degree. Really? Because there's this thing in women, like women perceive a masters degree to like be this like ultimate. Whereas the man is not looking for their a academic woman with qualifications. <laughs> like, I certainly wouldn't be putting. Yeah, my academic qualifications on my dating profile. That's so interesting. It's definitely something I've really noticed with my friends as well, particularly as well since they've realized that they don't even need a man necessarily to get pregnant. You know, they could Mm. freeze their eggs or there's no rush or they don't want children at all. And that emancipates them as well. So they're not even looking necessarily for these I guess what Chris Williamson argues though is that yes, that's a great thing in one way, but equally like humans still need companionship. And actually now you're getting swathes of women in their mid thirties. You know, they've spent their twenties working on themselves, focusing on their professional life, their personal development. And then they decide in their thirties that they want to settle down and have kids. And there's literally no one there to do it with. Because literally all the good men do get snapped up in the twenties. Because there's such a tiny pool of... um, eligible men oh my god so when you hear your single friends being like oh my god why i don't know good men it's like that the data backs that up like that's a fact like he says as well you know because he the way he's talking about it is obviously about um how this is impacting men negatively but he's not kind of to be fair to him he's not this kind of like he he did give a little bit of andrew tate vibe but he's definitely not a uh you know an anti- He's not traditional. He doesn't no. feel like, and therefore no, no, go back to traditional. everything. Yeah, he was like, quite rightly, women have this. Quite rightly, you know, he's very much trying to um, assert that he absolutely believes in women having equality. So within that, he was, even though he was kind of talking about where all the negative and detrimental impacts are on men, he was saying, you know, you have to think about women as well. Like in America now, he gives this crazy stat and I didn't even write this one down. I'm really annoyed, but do go and listen to the episode or just jump to the dating apps bit, you know, on YouTube, how you can do that. He basically says that in America now, it's like some crazy percentage of young men are spending more than 2000 hours a year playing video games, either high or on prescription jobs. So why would women want that? That's not the partner that women are no. looking for. So the issue, therefore, is how do we get more men to be more attractive to women? So his argument is that we need more in-person dating. Because women are vetoing men that actually they might consider in person because it's in an app. Right. And men... Also, and even the stats, he says, you know, I didn't realise this. It's something like... There's one woman to every three men on dating apps anyway. So already they're set up to fail as well. Yeah. Because even there, there are less women. This episode is sponsored by Huel. Okay, guys, if you haven't heard of Huel, then you have to listen closely to this. It has literally changed both of our lives when it comes to fitness. We are both so much healthier and in the best shape we've ever been, if we do so ourselves. And we've been saving loads of money as well, and it's all thanks to Huel. Yep, we'd both tried various proteins before, but trust us when we say that none are like this. Huel is a nutritionally complete meal, which basically means that you can have it as a delicious shake in so many different flavors. I love the salted caramel, Els loves the chocolate. It's 200 calories per scoop, and two scoops gives you 
literally everything your body needs. It's 26 essential vitamins and minerals and a massive, massive 40 grams of protein. Also, I have literally zero time in the morning for breakfast, no matter how hard I try. So Huel is so useful first thing. I don't spend money on overpriced and unhealthy breakfast anymore. Neither do I embarrass myself in front of my colleagues by having lunch al desco at 10am. I mean, I just cannot get over how tasty it actually is as well. I love mine with a bit of peanut butter and some ice. Also, it's £1.68 a portion. I mean, how can you beat that? It works out to being so cheap. And if you order via Huel.com forward slash straight up, then you'll get a free shaker and a free t-shirt with your first order. Okay, so this is your PSA, gang. Protein does not make women look bulky or masculine. Repeat after me. It makes you look gorgeous and healthy. And Huel is the best of the best. There's a reason this British company is taking over the world. So do get involved and join us at Huel.com slash straight up and let us know how you get on. And also, you will not date someone just because of their height. Exactly. All of these like superficial things that when you're online dating feel like they matter. Obviously, if you met someone and had an incredible connection with them, like you don't really give a shit about those small things. Well, so even though men can be much worse when it comes to objectification, they, I do think, play a numbers game. So they just swipe right on as many women as possible. Yeah, again, another stat he shares is how women swipe right on like... Um, 4% of profiles. Yeah. Men swipe right on 73%. Yeah. Like that the makes disparity is like insane. But then I do hear a lot from, and again, just anecdotally that yes, you'll, you'll get a lot of matches, but men will then ghost you. Like ghosting yeah, yeah, is yeah. way more of a thing. Apparently. Do. Yeah. Um, but okay. Sorry for all the single hands who haven't found their dream man yet. I know God, does that sound depressing? Cause have you heard the term it's called hypergamy, the t- female tendency to date up and across. It is like a social. Yes. I mean, it's definitely something I've been noticing a lot with my single friends being like, oh my God, like you earned so much. You're so high flying. Men, like how are you going to find someone that is even more successful than you are? Or it depends all on their personality and looks. And that's not always necessarily going to be but possible. As, a woman, as we say, don't you think it's just in theory rather than practice that you want someone to be really successful? Like the idea of a successful man is obviously attractive because of what it tells you, what the story is about how they're disciplined, how they're ambitious, whatever else. But actually, if you met someone, then I wouldn't care. In person, if you had a great connection with them, well, depends because I think it depends what their job is, I guess, doesn't it? And I think some women are really um, precise on what they want. Like I have got quite a few friends who, even if they matched with, if they they really vibed with someone, they didn't feel like they were a viable partner to raise children with who could give them the luxury lifestyle that they can already afford on their own but who can keep up with it Mm. I guess but then that's mad because it's like well you can afford to have the lifestyle that you want so why the hell do you need a partner that can can fund your life I guess that is the problem though in terms of toxic masculinity in terms of the toxic masculinity that women contribute to Mm. I think there's a sense of you don't want to be feel like your partner is emasculated by you like that's unattractive to feel Mm. that you're more your your partner's the sugar baby you know yeah yeah I guess it's like yeah it's like it's really unfortunate because you can totally see why there's resentment on all sides yeah this is actually a horrible dynamic that neither men nor women really want any part of anymore but like what's the solution as we say because I I never want to defend men like this but I do think there is a massive problem with women being obsessed with traditional and toxic forms of masculinity like you only have to see it sometimes on like the instagram blogs being like mm. there was one that went viral the other day because um <laughs> a woman had po- posted on hinge like oh so where should we go for our date and the guy posts like oh should we just should we do drinks you're talking about the just drinks yeah and she goes, goes just, just dr- he goes drinks and then we'll see from there 
Yeah, and then she goes, just drinks. Hmm, doesn't sound very organized. Goes, mm, it's giving it disorganized. Yeah. Oh, you're uh, worst, unorganized. I, I know it actually said. I thought about you when I read that. It really did annoy me. But anyway, all the comments beneath, actually me and my boyfriend did this fun thing on the train where we went through all the most unhinged comments and then looked at their profiles. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And God, you're such a journalist. I know. <laughs> and yeah, all the there were so many comments being like, oh my God, yeah, like how dare he? He needs to foot the bill. He needs to do this. It's like, oh my God, like... Why do do we have such outdated expectations? Yeah. The one comment I actually remember from that that I really yeah. liked was, it's giving entitled, sis. Yeah. That's, well, I do think but that. It's interesting because I do think it depends like where you hang out, like metaphorically online. Because I was, Marlon and I watched yeah. this together yesterday and had this conversation afterwards. And I was saying to him how so many women do really still, there's a, there's a real renewed culture uh, of expecting men to take first dates to bloody Hakkasan, yeah. to buy 300 red roses, to basically mimic the life that we see famous people footballers whatever living on social media and we want to recreate that for real with the average joe and actually that's so unrealistic because we all now can become mini celebrities through instagram yeah but we also just all want that like i even say like people that do bloody gender reveals when they're like not famous and not an influencer i know like, why are you doing that i mean it's actually really cute to be fair i think i don't mean don't do a gender reveal obviously do that with your family and friends that's really sweet but, but people that do it solely for the purpose of filming it and it's all very like aesthetic and it's clearly like yeah. for their instagrams when they have like 500 followers i think like, i even get, saw a, a piece the other day that was like everyone is like an influencer now yeah yeah everyone's <laughs> like a brand everyone's yeah. gonna be a brand and i think um marlon didn't even really realize how much pressure young men are under these days to give women that like materialistic lifestyle. Yeah, he was like, I do really? feel sorry for and them. And I was like, yes, it's like a big deal in the dating world, isn't it? That young men are like basically making themselves broke to yeah. take women out that they don't even have a connection with. Like that's insane. I find that really sad that some young men are, as you say, literally paying 200 quid for a first date because they feel like yeah. that's normal. And then they have no connection and with then, the person and have to go home after anyway. Or like, yeah. Yeah. I think the whole, it's really sad. And actually it makes me not mad at all about the fact that I kind of missed the whole dating app world. Like I used to kind of think, oh, I'll never like know what it was like to online date. And now I'm like, I am so glad that I didn't do that. But I also do think it is a very specific type of person because none of my friends would ever, ever not go halves. No, exactly. And actually I will say about online dating, I think that it can get an unfair rap because yeah, I can totally see that it's draining. It can be really toxic and it takes a lot of the fun out of romance. But the good news... Well, I was going to say, I know literally multiple people that have met their like amazing life partners on dating apps and they never would have met them in real life. And they're like the perfect person for them. Like one of my best friends just got engaged last weekend. She and her partner met on hinge i think it was as well and they are like meant to be like they are perfect for each other they are like really similar but there's no way that they would have crossed paths in real life just yes. slightly do you know what i mean that's so true and also uh divorces i think there will be a fresh batch of available men once we hit late 30s there will i read a Substack from the digital editor of tatler becca oh Cope, yeah the other day she's on maternity leave but she wrote about her fear now that she has accepted that she will always be the second wife. Because <gasps> once you get to a certain age, you're like waiting, as you say, for the divorce. The conveyor belt like, of yeah. the hot men. And so you're like, right, I shall be a second wife. To a silver fox. Mm. God. But then that's where men really get the, the, the long straw. Is that, how, is that the phrase? Uh, yes, it yes. must be. Because it's like, you know, you, I mean, my God, like you say, you think the bloody dating pool for people of our age in their 20s and early 30s is bad. When you're in your 50s as a woman, my God. Yeah, because you become a hag 
and then all the ugly men become cute silver foxes. Oh, get- are you joking? Okay, no, I was going to say it's literally the opposite. No, men age like, no. much better. You, okay, think about the men and women you know in their 60s. Who's more attractive? Who's more vivacious? Who's loving life more? I'm sorry, but it's the women every day of the week. I know so many amazing women in their 60s and not very many men, quite frankly. Men get tired by that age. They've lost their joie de vie and all that. Whereas okay. women are like... So actually we're kind of, we're saying different things, but the conclusion is the same. It's really difficult for women. Yes, but to be fair, and men, that's kind of what I'm saying. Basically, I think the whole, like, the whole as, isn't this such a gross term, as Chris Williamson calls it, the mating market. The mating market, that is actually gross. gross. The mating market is broken. Like, everyone hates everyone. Something's got to give. Also, I do think... I do think as well, there's this thing that um, was going around TikTok recently called Why Don't Millennials Age? Because we're all getting tweakments and because like, we all dress like, like we, we don't dress like millennials, like our parents were. You Guys, know? can I just say, actually, sorry to interrupt you, Els, but on that topic, we asked for some tweakment recommendations and we've currently had none. Oh, yeah. So please, please fill our inbox with information about yes. your tweakments. I would like you to look at a picture of me on my Instagram and then make an informed suggestion. That would be great. If you're an aesthetician. Actually, I did speak to an aesthetician at a wedding and she did do an appraisal of my face. Did she? And she said, don't get it done under your eyes. It's, it doesn't look natural. Never get it done under there. She said, you don't need any on your forehead yet. And she said, you don't need filler. That's interesting because I will say, I know someone who recently had the under eye and I'm not that into people doing this kind of stuff unnecessarily. I'm very like, like if you were like, oh, I'm going to go and get filler tomorrow. I'd be like, please do not do that. Mm. Do not do that. Like I'm definitely on the side of encouraging my friends that they're beautiful just as they are. However, it looks fucking great. I can't lie. It literally Don't tempt great. me, Cathers. That's why I wanted to filler. But she said it was very risky to get done and it falls. She said it absolutely killed my friend. Really? When she got it done, it caned. Like it was really painful. So I want you to keep a close eye on her and I let will. me know how she looks next year. But she basically just looks like she's just had like, three months of sleep and a long holiday like but, she just looks really refreshed but what i've heard from bright from that kind of filler is that it is really prone to migration oh okay yeah anyway sorry for that random side note what so are you saying about de- that's deeply depressing on all fronts thank god we are not single <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys that's so annoying of us the actual audacity oh, of us to sit the in long-term relationships telling all our single listeners how fucked they are. I would just say <laughs> that I don't think you're fucked at all. I think you will 100% meet the person of your dreams, but just don't feel like you are only going to find them online. And also lower your standards. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Basically, the problem is, but then no, because that's baby when, I mean, Unfortunately, the issue at the crux of all of this is men aren't good enough. <laughs> And women need to know their standards. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is actually it's true. Look, whilst we so, wait for men to step it up, you've got to lower your standards. Also, the issue is a lot of men don't want the woman to burn more than them because they get so many weird, like, emasculation issues. So that causes their own, you know, sometimes the woman will actually be fine with it, but the man can't deal with it. Also, I think there is a slight issue. Honeys of a certain age, let us know if you found this. Vintage Huns. <laughs> oh my God, are you seriously vintage at 30? Oh my, we're vintage. No, I thought you were addressing... A fine cheddar. 
Oh no. Um, hands of our age. Oh, oh I thought you were addressing an older generation. Sorry. No, I'm addressing those that are in the like 29 and upward bracket, basically, because I, I wonder whether they feel that they are treated differently on eight on apps based on their age. If it's any consolation as well, a lot of my single male friends, of which there are actually lots of decent single male friends that I have, um, that that was a weird. I would say a weird syntax. <laughs> Oh, that was funny and accurate. And I think they sound lovely. And I'm going to ask you off air if we can do any matchmaking. Yes. Um, they're actually really good looking and very educated and single. So, so what's wrong with them? Well, uh, I think <laughs> it's... carefully here. So I think... Is that listening? Well, so I have it on authority. In fact, most of my male friends are single one of them said to me that the pool of women wasn't that good at the moment maybe it's the age thing like i say maybe things get weird when you get to 30 yes and then a few too of, much pressure and the other one is like so hates the apps he only wants to find them in real life but that in itself is difficult because everyone's on the apps yeah and it's weird to like go and approach people and stuff that's one of the issues as well that this guy talks about is that men have become post like me too and stuff while it's amazing that people like Harvey Weinstein are held to account like the men that have any modicum of moral decency mm. are now afraid of approaching women because they don't want to come across as pervy yes and interestingly may I refer us once again back to my state of the nation piece for Vogue <laughs> about how gen z dating none of the young men that i interviewed said consent was even something they really thought about as in it was something that they always asked about and it was so normal for it was them. so obvious whereas i think so for them it absolutely doesn't impinge on their dating so i think it very much does only affect millennial millennials and, and up yeah he uses chris williamson uses this slightly questionable um anecdote to explain how the shift maybe has impacted relationships and dynamics by saying that Bill Gates charmed Melinda Gates when she was a junior PA in like the 80s at Microsoft and he was obviously the CEO he sent her an email being like hey can I take you out for drinks can I take you out on a date and she was like no I don't really think so I think she said no because he was like how about in three Thursdays from now at this time between this and this and she was like no I don't think you're kind of my person my kind of person I'm looking for someone more spontaneous and then he emailed back being like, like, how's this for spontaneous? This afternoon, you've got the day off and we're going on a date. And then obviously the rest is history. Chris Williamson is arguing now if someone, if the CEO of a top tech company emailed a PA, asked her to go on a date with him, she said no. And then he cancelled the rest of her day of work and insisted on taking her on a date. He'd like, have to resign. He'd be finished. That would be it. That's mad. Is that bad that I find that kind of hot? I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what we should make no, of that No, that's not, no, sorry. I would find that hot if my boyfriend cancelled my plans. No, I wouldn't. No, no I wouldn't. <laughs> no, you sorry. wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, those you are my plans. You just an afternoon off work. <laughs> yes. I would that's just like an afternoon. Yeah, sorry. I got confused there. No, but you know, okay, one kind of um, outdated thing that I do find hot is if my boyfriend has ordered me a drink by the time I sit down. That even is, if it's not even really attractive. the drink I wanted. But Jen... I mean, it is genuinely... Although I quite like when women do that too. Like when we're meeting up at the pub and you ask me, what would you like to drink? And then when I get there, it's already there. Yes. But would it not be better if I hadn't even... I just got it for you without asking? No, because, no, because you might get the wrong thing. But you just want a pint of lager. lager. Yeah. <laughs> and you want a glass of white wine. Yes, so. or champagne. If yes. Being, you know. 
So honestly, who knows, guys? Oh, well, guys, there's so much more we want to discuss about this, including the rise of AI boyfriends, but we might save that for oh, our next chat. Oh, we've got to save that for next time. Gals and guys, let us know your thoughts, especially on all the dating stuff. Yes. We can reconvene and talk through some of your lived experience. I mean, as we said, we're being extremely annoying, pontificating on the dating world, having absolutely no idea what's really going we've on there We've literally never dated. Actually, I went on, on the front line of dating. I went on one date with a man who was Spanish when I was... 17 to the stagnatus <laughs> so 13 years ago and we weren't able to speak because he was spanish yes right well, but I, I did snog him afterwards well that was a successful date yes how old was he was it questionable i think so probably actually he was 17 i'm gonna guess he was probably some weird 27 year old yes yes he was actually anyway uh, <laughs> let's leave that there um, okay guys rate review and subscribe oh god should we tell them about the next guest next week just so they can get back we should yes guys it's Alistair Campbell how fun how unusual for us <laughs> it's not our usual musician he's not our uncle or something Tony Blair's former aide you might be asking why he, he is in fact a leading political figure podcaster extraordinaire well, yeah author. we love the rest of his politics and he's previous no former colleague of sorts from GQ, yes. And we had a very funny conversation where he may have totally rinsed us. Annihilated our general knowledge. He at genuinely every point annihilated. Of yeah. So check out his new book <laughs> as well, guys, uh, before the convo if you fancy it. It's cool, but what can I do? And it literally posits the question in the face of today's absurd politics but what can I do? But what can we do? Indeed. We'll leave you with that. <laughs> okay. Bye. Love you. Bye.